steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs! Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable! Vikings win it! To the Unbelievable Podcast. I am BJ Rydell, back here with my guy, Drew Maholt. And today, your Minnesota Vikings are 500, three and three record through six weeks of football as a result of a 34 to 28 victory over the Carolina Panthers. The Vikings made it a little bit harder than they probably needed to. Uh, there's a couple of instances where, the, you know, the Vikings could have potentially stepped on the neck or as we have, you know, suggested they probably should have. Uh, and we'll dig into a couple of those things. But ultimately, Vikings come away with a six-point victory. They get it done in overtime by way of K.J. Osborne's crosser for a touchdown. Uh, so we'll dig into all that and we'll kind of go through the good things, the bad things, the ugly things. And, you know, of course, we're heading into the bye week after this. So, uh yeah, we'll kind of just dig into everything that's kind of happened to a degree as well. So that's sort of the plan for today's show. A uh, quick programming note before we really get into it here. We will not <clears throat> have a Thursday show this week. Uh, we're going on bye week as well. So Drew and I will not have a Thursday show this week or a Tuesday show next week. Uh, the next time you guys hear from us, it will be Thursday of this following week when we're previewing the Dallas Cowboys. So uh, just keep that in mind. If you are an avid listener, if not, then you could just ignore the last 30 seconds of this show. So, um, all right. So let's get right into it here. Starting with Kirk Cousins, of course, it always boils down to Kirk Cousins. And at least for this season, it certainly seems like when it comes down to can Kirk Cousins give you a drive uh, to, to tie up a game, win a game, push the game into overtime, etc. I believe, and I'm sure you will correct me if I'm wrong, um, he's only missed out on a game-winning drive or a game-tying opportunity one time this season, and that was the 14-7 to loss against the Cleveland Browns. I mean, I think he's got, I mean, essentially five game-winning or game-tying drives in six games. Right. Um, now, obviously, they don't, they don't, you know, record books aren't keeping it that way because of missed kicks and because of fumbles that have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got the Cincinnati game um, where he drove them down the field to and actually a successful field goal to send the game to overtime. Right. You've got the drive in overtime that week. Um, where Dallin fumbled the game or fumbled the game away, but fumbled. And I know there's some, uh, you know, disagreements about whether that call was correct or not, but um, week two drives the Vikings down the field against Arizona. They have a uh, 37 yarder, obviously, as we know, uh, the now undefeated, still undefeated Arizona Cardinals um, are that close from not being undefeated. Uh, Basically did it twice again against Carolina. Um, He had the regulation, uh, drive down the field where they missed the kick and regulation. And then once again, the overtime touchdown drive. And then of course we know what happened with the lions last week. So right. the guy, you know, that's been, I think the biggest criticism of him really. Right. I mean, am I wrong on, in saying that for sure? Yeah. Definitely yeah. mine. I can't speak for everyone, but I think for the most vocal people that have an issue with Kirk cousins, it has been the lack of winning the game or putting the team in a position to win the game when they need it most. Right. And he has answered that call to be better there. Like, I mean, 
that's an A plus, right? A plus grade. Uh, now, I mean, the average starting quarterback gets that done. That's probably that's so what overall that's I think six opportunities he's had this year, maybe more, mm-hmm. to drive the team down into scoring position when needed. And even with that Browns game, you know, they obviously needed a touchdown. So uh, that made the degree of d- difficulty there even harder. They were in field goal range for what it's worth there. Um, so he's a hundred percent on the year getting the team into field goal range mm-hmm. when they need a, a, a score. And of right. course the, the Browns one wasn't good enough because they needed a touchdown. Right. But this guy is, I mean, I'm trying to figure it out because I'm with you. That's been my biggest concern. He seems to get become a shell of himself in crunch time. That's been the concern. That's been the criticism his entire career. You know, when the game's flow is going well, when he's comfortable, when he's not dealing with a ton of pressure, guy's the best pocket passer or one of the best pocket passers in the NFL. We knew that about him. Mm-hmm. Um, but now he's overcoming things. Uh, challenges that his team's dealing with. He is saving his head coach's job, uh, overcoming very flawed game management and uh, aggressiveness tactics or lack of aggressiveness, if you will, in terms of closing teams out. He's overcoming all of that and still winning while back-to-back games now, albeit against weaker opponents. But I'm going to really get the show on a heated start here. And I'm going to say Kirk Cousins belongs on the fringe of the MVP conversation. Now that conversation includes probably five to eight names because we're early in the season, very early MVP conversation probably shouldn't even be happening right now, but that's what I'm doing right here. That's our um, job. So you, what you got Herbert, you got Lamar, you've got Kyler, you've got Rogers, Josh uh, you've got Brady, you've got Josh Allen. Kirk is kind of like if they're all out to dinner at a restaurant, Kirk's like seeing if they have an extra table or an extra chair to like scoot up to the table. You know, that's what, that's what Kirk is. So he's kind of flirting with it. Um, Honestly, if he, if Joseph makes the kick against Arizona, I think he's sitting there at the table with him. So this Kirk cousins, man, I, I, it's a, it's, it's something poetic about him finally figuring out the whole crunch time play situation the Vikings still being three and three because of other, yeah, yeah. you know, issues that are going on, but the, you got to give the guy props. I mean, I, I feel like we've been rather tough on him overall for the show. Of course, you know, but he's the reason this team has three wins right now. I think at least the last two weeks, he's the guy that's carried them to those two wins. Absolutely. And to be honest with you, he did it twice yesterday, right? Against the Panthers. He set him up with the Greg Joseph field goal that unfortunately did not go through the uprights at yeah. the end of regulation. Then of course he drives down for, what was it? A 76 yard drive that ended with the KJ Osborne score in overtime. So he actually did it twice. This thing that we're talking about in terms of kind of crunch time scoring or crunch time, get what you need scoring. Cause it's not really like a game winning drive and it's not really like a game winning touchdown. It's we're just talking about, okay, get us what we need right now. Kirk cousins has set the Vikings up to do that five out of six times. The one time, like Drew said, being the touchdown. And if that's your concern that he can't get touchdowns instead of field goals, well, then I've got an answer for you. And it happened in overtime yesterday against the Panthers. The Vikings didn't necessarily need a touchdown to close out that football game, but they got one. Um, and it was a hell of a throw by the way. And then maybe an even better play by KJ Osborne to get open and stretch across the end zone there to, to wrap this thing up. But ultimately this comes down to Kirk cousins. I mean, we start the show with Kirk cousins every single week for a reason, right? It's because he's going to get, the biggest slice of the pie if we lose, and he's going to get the 
you know, the lion's share of the credit if the team wins. So when they're winning or when they're doing the right things to get themselves put into a position to win, it's hard to find a knock on yeah. this guy. The biggest knock on him right now is the team's record. If we're talking about MVP conversation, you can't have an MVP be three and three, but I mean, he's the same. He's basically in the same crowd as Derek Carr for me. If the Vikings had one more win, they'd have a four and two record, right? And they'd look just like Derek Carr's Las Vegas Raiders. You know, a situation where you don't expect him to be that good, but the quarterback's playing so well that the team is better than they are. That's kind of where I see Kirk Cousins. I don't really think he's on the same level. Like if Vegas was doing the odds, Vegas definitely has what Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, uh, probably those two guys for the most part at the very top of the MVP candidacy. Lamar Herbert Lamar. have Herbert took a hit yesterday. Herbert took a hit, yeah. Rogers is up there. Brady's up there, you know, but the, I would say it's, it's outside Allen, of that first wave Murray. of like quarterbacks that come to your mind. Kirk cousins is that next one in. And realistically, if he beats the Cowboys who, by the way, Dak Prescott's definitely that MVP yes. conversation yes, as well. Yes. If you beat the Cowboys in two weeks coming out of a bye, which, I, we got a lot to talk about between then and now, right? But if that happens and you move to four and three, all of a sudden you're very much in the MVP's conversation because you just beat arguably the best team in the NFC, second best team, third best team in the NFC in the Cowboys. So he's definitely on the fringe. Like, I don't think that's debatable. I don't think that's that hot of a, like, hot of a take. Like, if you win games, you play well, and you're the most important position on your roster, you're yeah. going to be in the you're going to be in the conversation. And he has done all of those things to a point where he's now – this is really important, by the way – he's now elevating the play of the guys around him. He's getting more out of guys like KJ Osborne, right? He's getting more out of guys like Tyler Conklin, who's actually been a really good tight end this year, by the way. And you throw Dalvin cook into the mix and all of a sudden like this offense looks rather complete. If they got better play calling or maybe more consistent play calling or maybe more aggressive play calling. And the more I watch this team right now, the more I, so this whole thing that Kirk's elevating the team, man, it really feels like Zimmer's old school philosophy and Kubiak's kind holding of them back now, right? Weird. Yeah. It, it's holding them back. I mean, it is. And I mean, I don't know how you don't see what's happened the last two weeks with this team where they've been leading by double digits very late in the game mm-hmm. and they get, you know, they basically, when they get the ball, they're just sitting on it. They're essentially like, well, we're going to, we're going to take these three downs. We're going to run the ball make sure the clock is moving right. and then go ahead and have the ball back. Like that's two straight weeks now where that has severely, well, ultimately has not cost the team, but severely damaged their chances of winning the game. Mm-hmm. How do you, as if you're coach Zimmer, if you're the front office, if you're anybody on that coaching staff, how do you observe this happen and still like go along with it? Like, like how do you believe that the status quo is still okay? That's the part that frustrates me. I've been, I mean, I've, I harped on this week three against Seattle. A little, I mean, it's, it's kind of that, uh, a branch off that same tree where they didn't go for the touchdown late in the game. They just went for a field goal from like, uh, from the two yard line on fourth and goal. Like you have to be willing to put teams away and the Vikings don't do that. Their mantra is that we want the clock to run out as soon as possible. Yeah. But that's not the same thing. That's not the same thing because you give the the other team the ball back, you are forfeiting a possession. Yeah, it might take two minutes off the clock. But you give them the ball back, they have more control than you do over the game. Right. And why, honestly, why would you want to? Why would you want to give up any control if you can? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you can avoid that. That's the issue with all of this conservativeness, this lack of aggression that I have a problem with. 
I love Mike Zimmer. I, I love rooting for him. It's just these types of things, these decisions are very frustrating. And it's he, he's very lucky to have a job right now because he could very well be coaching a one in five team. And it would be tough to ha- you know have that with how well Kirk's playing in and out of crunch time. And he'd still be one in five, but that's very likely because of this, you know, game management, this style of, of coaching that Zimmer employs. Absolutely. It's just not getting it done anymore. Right. Like it's okay to have some old school tendencies, right. Especially character traits. I think old school tends to work better, especially with regard to football, kind of those, like, you know, the character traits are actually more important than the progression of the actual gameplay. Right. Mike Zimmer tries to employ a game plan that worked from like 1985 to like 2010. And it's just not – I'm not saying it doesn't work because Derrick Henry can make it work. We've seen Derrick Henry make the style of gameplay work in Tennessee. But, like, it's 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 an outlier now. It's not – this isn't the right way to call a football game anymore. The contemporary style of play has adapted to how mm-hmm. we played Madden growing up as children <laughs> and refusing to punt. This is how the NFL is now. Like, other coaches are doing this, and you have to evolve with them. You have to this time. There isn't a choice in the matter here because all of a sudden, everyone's going for it on fourth. Hell, Mike McCarthy's going for it on fourth in his own territory now and also making ridiculous moves later on in the game, by the way. But aggressive play calling is a staple across the NFL. There's probably 18 out of 30 coaches who are calling games by analytics now, if not more. I think there's probably more. Some of them probably wouldn't want to admit it. And most of those analytics are going to say, if you're fourth and three, I don't care where you are in the field. you got a better shot to win the game if you attack. And unfortunately, Mike Zimmer is just inherently a defensive mind. It kind of just goes into like the flaw of him being a head coach versus a defensive coordinator. He's trying to coordinate a football game with a defensive mindset, which isn't bad. We've seen him win games with this in the past. But what we have seen, especially in recent years, is that the offensive philosophy, as opposed to defending against touchdowns and instead attacking to get more touchdowns, is the way to go now. It just objectively is the right way for the way the NFL is moving right now. It's not just analytics anymore. Like, this is how it is. You've got to evolve. Otherwise, you're going to start losing games in bulk. It's, yeah, it, there's a lot of, like, I, I, it's just a wild circus that's happened where I'm like, suddenly in on Kirk pulling this team up, you know, carrying this team on his back. But it seems like now I'm not going to, you know, remove Kirk from any fault that of anything that happens in the first 50 minutes of a game or, fi- or first 55 minutes of a game. Um, he certainly missed like he what was that that first throw, the long one down to Jefferson, when Jefferson yeah. destroyed that guy on that route, kind of that play action boot where Jefferson came back to the left side of the field. Kirk just totally missed him on that one. Um, so there's like, there's mistakes he makes, but then, you know, he's needing, he's being required to do more in crunch time than he even needs to, uh, two weeks in a row now, for sure. You could argue the Arizona game with, you know, the fact that, you know, maybe they could have even gone for the touchdown and the field goal, whatever. Um, but it's just, it's baffling to me that they still do this run the clock out run the ball only type thing. Don't even threaten to pass when they're trying to protect a lead. And that's the way they, that's the way they see it. Right. they they view it as protect the lead versus win the game. Like right. do this to win right. the game. It's protecting the lead, not losing. That's what they're thinking. And that's, that's the reason Kirk has had to save this team twice in a row now. And it's not sustainable. I mean, for as good as Kirk is 
been has been doing in this crunch time. We know his career, uh, you know, his career rate in these moments is not as high as it is this season. So we as fans, or at least I am, I'm anticipating that to come back to the median, right? Regress to the mean is that's that term that we uh, use a lot, but Kirk's performance in these moments certainly won't last like this. So it's, it's going to be time for Zimmer and his team and his coaching staff to make the right decisions to be more aggressive when they can, when they can and uh, put teams away when the opportunity is there, because you can't rely on Kirk like this every week. The best quarterbacks of all time aren't at this good in crunch time, every single opportunity they get, they're just not. So relying on Kirk to do that is not sustainable. And I really hope this team makes the, the adjustments needed here. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's interesting because <clears throat> You get to just like a good performance from Dalvin Cook. You know, he ran the ball 29 times for 140 yards. I probably, both of us probably have issues with the amount of times he touched the ball yesterday as yes. well, coming off of an injury, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you really did have good balance offensively. It's just the style of play calling. And it, I think it's more the situational play calling than the play calling as a whole that bothers me. It's the second and 14 give up play that really bothers me. Or, you know, if you get, I, I can't even think of like a good, a good example off the top of my head, but basically what it comes down to is when you can tell the Vikings are running the football to, to chug clock, as opposed to running the football to get yards, there's two different styles of play. And the Vikings basically start playing fourth quarter football, like third, like two minutes into the third quarter when they're winning. That's our problem. It's not necessarily that it's the wrong call. Cause Dalvin cook pretty damn good player. Well, it's, but it's, 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 the, it's philosophy the wrong process. It. It's the wrong, it process. the wrong process. And sometimes it yields good results, which is, that that that's the way it covers things up a little bit. And that's been Zimmer's philosophy this whole time. And 2017, it worked great because his defense was all time uh, efficient, all time lucky in a way that they didn't have any injuries that year defensively. Um, but it's, there's just no way of having that anymore. Your defensive secondary is not that, not as good as it was then. Uh, your defensive line certainly is as, as good as it was then. So you have to make up for those, poor decisions that you made then by being better at that now to compete with that team or have the success that team did. So there's, you know, the funny thing is we just talked about McCarthy. We get a Zimmer versus McCarthy game coming up here, which could be the toilet bowl of game management between head coaches. Cause both of those guys stink at it. So uh, that's one game where I feel confident that uh, you know, my head coach, my team's head coach won't be trying to lose this game necessarily that much more than the opposing head coach because they're both going to be bad at that. But I mean, even stuff like early on those two fourth down decisions, they, they're selling for 25 yard field goals when you have two or three yards to go. Yeah. That's, that's, there you go. There's a, that's terrible. Board. Yeah. That's terrible. Do that. that doesn't work against the that. Cowboys for sure. It might work again. One thing I will say is that I think it's important for us to put this into, into a bit of a nutshell here and try to, fa- try to just dis- to figure out, well, we will, we're not going to, not going to figure out, we're going to straight up know what happens against Dallas. Maybe this is the play calling for Carolina because I did understand. Was it a keep to leave that was on the broadcast yesterday? Vilma. Vilma, Jonathan Vilma. Sorry. When Vilma was talking about at one point, by the way, I hate Jonathan Vilma and that guy sucks a bunch. By the way, very ironic that he was trying to educate people on what a clean hit is. Yeah, Screw that guy. Nice. He's, the, he's the worst. Nice. Good guy. one. Um, but he was talking about how like at one point there was a, there was a, you know, one of the Greg Joseph short field goals where, 
they said something on the broadcast, like, obviously they're going to take the field goal here. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like Twitter searching Ben Baldwin's analytic rhythm or whatever. And I'm like, there's no way that's right. They're wrong for sure. Yeah. By the way, it was wrong both times. It was wrong both times. Yeah. And, but he was saying, Vilma was saying like, okay, you know, you can play defense against this team. And then you look at the stat sheet, 17 for 41. No, Darnold was bad. Darnold was was terrible. So like maybe, maybe, and this is, this is literally pushing a little bit like, we're giving a little bit more than I think I really even need to, to Mike Zimmer here by just saying, all right, maybe this is the play call for Carolina. If you're fourth and three and it's a 27 yard field goal against Dallas. Okay. Like you have to go there. Mm -hmm. Carolina. I'll give you a little bit more leeway, Mike Zimmer, but like I'm saying it now, like this has to, this process has to change against an offensive team. I'm going to try to, yeah, an offensive juggernaut. You for sure can do that. That was the, yeah, that was the same concern that I was, I'm assuming was it was my buddies about it. I was I, texting I mean, my buddies about that yesterday, and it was like, because uh, I I was saying that very first drive where I think they got, I think it, it was a it was a fourth and two or fourth and three, they settled for the 25 yarder, and I immediately was like, you have to go for it here, and they're like, well, no, I don't know, you're not that scared of them, and that was that's the one argument I can understand because they had Darnold's number all day. Yeah, he was. Not, I mean, he wasn't scary all day. I mean, I credit to him for making that the first fourth down throw when they're back in their own end zone. They needed to go ninety some yards. I'm giving him credit for throwing it. I'm not giving him credit for catching that football. That was disgusting by the Vikings defense to allow that on fourth down. Well, okay. Well, here's the thing: you are you made him throw a thirty plus thirty five yard ball in the air down the seam on On a a dime dime. to their is it backup tight end? I don't know if he's the starter or not, but and it's not like Kendricks was a little bit trailing. I'm sure. Was that Ian but, Thomas that caught that? Yes. One? Yeah, yeah. That was, that's the backup tight end. Yeah. So they, that's the throw we're giving Darnold on do or die fourth and 10 in his own end zone. Go for it, man. You make that throw based on how that game's going. Have that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And he did yeah. it. So credit to him there. Okay. Fine. How about the second one? The second one was bad too. They shouldn't have yeah. even had the opportunity to tie that football game, let alone get the two-point conversion in addition to it, by the way. Right, right. No, and defensive breakdowns there for sure, but 95% of the time, Vikings defense played this game pretty well. Mm-hmm. I uh, don't have issues with that. Obviously, the block punt is part of the reason they were in the game. Uh, so I, I think the defense is, is there. I think 28 points is very misleading for how well the Vikings defense played in this game. Yeah. Uh, this defense is coming around. They're rushing the passer well. Once that I saw yesterday, and I am very excited about it. The Vikings defense has um, had thir- they've allowed well th- allowed thirty four third down attempts, thirty four third down attempts in the second half of games this year. Mm-hmm. Two of them have been converted. Teams I are mean- two. F- teams are two for thirty four on third down in the second half against the Vikings this year. That is that is insane. That's just think. I mean, that is bananas. Now the Panthers, the the Panthers kept converting a fourth down yesterday. So kind of two for two yesterday kind of messes up those numbers, but uh, that's insane to think about two for 34. Yeah. Wow. That's that's vintage Zimmer right there. That's incredible. And honestly, it does lend some, you know, it lends some to how they performed against Carolina yesterday. They were two for 12 overall yesterday on on third down Sam Darnold and the Panthers were and by the way they had 306 total yards in basically four and three fourths quarters of football 
That's pretty incredible. Vikings said like 600. <laughs> yeah, close to 600, 571. So basically the Vikings offense doubled the output of the Panthers offense, which I know Christian McCaffrey wasn't there, but it's not like Chuba Hubbard played poorly. Like he was maybe the best player on their offense for most of the game with the exception of major, maybe DJ Moore that escaped for a couple of plays. You know, you take away the play where Patrick Peterson got injured. You take away that throw down the seam to Ian Thomas. That sucked. You take away that fourth down, the other, the second fourth down conversion. I know you're playing a lot of what if ball there, but if you get rid of those three things, I mean, this is basically like as elite of a defensive performance as you can get. And they still allowed 28 points. It's situational yesterday for the defense overall. Great press pressure was getting there for sure. Um, not necessarily sacks every single time, but they were definitely in Sam Darnold's face from start to forcing finish. turnovers, forcing turnovers. You know, I think there's some, there's everything some run, right there's some run defense issues that need to be worked out. I think um, a little bit, you know, Michael Pierce not being there. You can kind of tell that was a problem, uh, yep. but defensively I, I'm now, I mean, obviously Dallas is a bigger test than, Jared Goff or Sam Darnold the past two weeks, but the way this defense has played essentially from halftime of the Seattle game until now has given me a lot of confidence for that, for that Dallas game that they can hang with this team. Um, And maybe who knows, maybe just pull something out of the hat uh, and maybe win that game. But uh, I mean, obviously there's a lot of discussion to be had there about that, but overall I am not totally out on this team yet. They took care of business against the Panthers, despite the fashion of which it happened at the end. It's just somebody get it, get it through Mike Zimmer's head. Trying to win the game. Yeah. You're not trying to not lose the game. And if that happens, these are, and maybe, and like you said, maybe it could have been just a opponent base because he clearly doesn't have any type of numerical model or, 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 you know, process with this. It's simply a gut feeling for him, like going for two when they had that early touchdown uh, to try to make it a seven point game, you know, where they had the penalty to make, to get him to the one yard line. Great call and never hesitated. He was, you know, holding up the two fingers immediately. How is that the gut feeling there? Then you can't even think about going for the fourth down conversions on the previous two possessions where you had it down at the five yard line or whatever. Wild to me. But anyway, somebody get through his head and then the Vikings offensively, defensively, they, they could put something together this season and uh, maybe be one of those frisky teams down the line here. So it's funny because we talked about before how this could very easily be a two and four, one and five football team. I mean, I'm not saying easily, but it definitely could easily be a four and two team. If that field goal sails through against Arizona, right? I think you can make a strong case that this team could be five and one at the, you know, again, the field goal goes through doesn't go through against Cincinnati I mean you can easily not easily but this could be a five and one team so there is an inverse there as well like maybe a couple of good play calls or maybe a couple of things mm-hmm. bounce the right way maybe a couple of you know the referees doesn't it, give it you just it feels like now call. it feels like now three and three is about the record the Vikings deserve maybe yeah, that's I agree maybe I mean they they probably deserve like 3.3 wins this year you know based on how things yes. have gone uh, but like I mean, if you think about it, so the, in the, the three Vikings wins, you got one in regulation, Seattle game, pretty standard yep. win, took care of business in that second half. Yep. You've got one in overtime, Panthers game that just happened, the touchdown, walk-off touchdown. And you've got a win that was a made kick as time expired. If they miss that kick, they lose against Detroit. Right. Also, three losses. Regulation loss to the Browns, which had a chance at the end, but 
you know, not really a chance if it's a Hail Mary. They lost in overtime against Cincinnati. And then you have a missed kick as time expires that if that was made, it'd be a W against the Cardinals. So it's perfectly symmetrical season right now there. I mean, it's classic Vikings to be average at three and three, but I did see today if the playoffs were to be concluded right now, the Vikings would be the seventh seed going to, (laughs) I think it was Tampa. No, Dallas. I don't remember, but it's just classic. Like it's that's exactly be where the Vikings schedule or strength of loss or something. That plus the Vikings have two, already two losses against AFC opponents, so their conference record is still ah, intact. Yes, of course, so of course. that's uh, that's kept that's got them in the uh, the advantage there for the three and three teams. But it's just perfect Vikings to be, you know, in that wild card spot going into the bye. Absolutely, and honestly, this is where you want to be after the start the Vikings had. Right, we talked about it on the last show. Like if you can get back to three and three. I know the road sucks coming out of the bye week. What is it? You know, you start with Dallas, then it's Baltimore, L.A., and Green Bay. It's successive weeks, so you got four straight. You got a month of playoff caliber football, basically, which is great for us as fans in terms of viewership. But like, you're gonna need to come away at least two and two out of those four yeah. games. And I don't like right now, as of October 18th, I don't see two wins in those four games. Now things can change. Someone could get hurt next week. And all of a sudden, the Vikings are looking at three and one potentially, right? Something could happen. Now, it's also got to keep in mind, Patrick Peterson just went on IR today. It's going to be the Cam Dancer show for real now for at least three more weeks. It's good timing in the sense that you do get the bye week and potentially, you know, give him more opportunity to, to rehab that a little bit more. But ultimately, you know, you're in a position where you control your own destiny again. You can, if you beat Green Bay twice, hey, you're right yeah, back in this They do thing. control their own destiny, which is... Which, hey, that's good, right? You know, That's based on how week one went, you know, I'll we'll, we'll take it. We'll take yeah. it. But it's, this is this next four games is the like will tell the story of this team. I think if they can manage their way through this, win a couple of them. What is it? So it's it's Dallas, Baltimore, Chargers, and then Packers. I believe yep. is that the order. Yep. yep. So if they can get a couple of those games, and specifically that Packers one will be very meaningful. Um, if they can win one of those first three and then steal the Packers game somehow they can, they will be a team to be reckoned with uh, down the line. So a lot of football as well too, just off of that point is that as grueling as the next four weeks are, if you can get through that at 500 somehow and you leave that series as being a five and five team, basically heading into December, you got San Francisco, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Chicago in a row after that. I think all four of those teams I'm not saying it. Those are, so that's four winnable games. That's four very winnable games for sure. So I, you're going through the ringer for sure. And this is going to be tough. And there's a lot of things that still need to be resolved, but you do get the bye week now, right? Like this is a great time by for the Vikings. A lot of guys were on the injury report, not necessarily hurt, but like, or excuse me, not necessarily injured, but hurt. Like this week comes at a perfect time in terms of getting everyone back to, I don't know, like 92%. I know no one in the NFL plays with 100%, <laughs> right. but getting closer to that spot, the pass rush is coming around. Hey, Christian Derrissaw, first NFL start. Yes. Looked pretty damn good, right? Like this is, there are no things. No pressure that rate. How many, we had, he had what? No pressures allowed? Is that right? Or no it was, sacks it was No sacks, no sacks for sure. Well, Kirk was only pressured four times. Offensive line was fantastic. We haven't yeah. even talked about that. Offensive line is awesome. When they're allowed to pass, which they don't ever pass the ball when they should, but when they like, this is what I was telling my buddies today. And I I stand by it. The best strategy for the Vikings moving forward, hypnotize Mike Zimmer and maybe Clint Kubiak. I don't know. 
and I'm like half joking about this and I'm kind of serious hypnotize Mike Zimmer and maybe Clint Kubiak just hypnotize them so that they believe the Vikings are down 14 points at like every <laughs> second of the game. Yeah. Because when the Vikings get aggressive offensively, like oh, they're I mean, good. seriously, seriously, they're good. when they are aggressive, they're so good. Like <laughs> I, I need to go in and break down the like, you know, yards per play when it's an aggressive scenario for the Vikings versus not, it's probably like off the charts. Good. I mean, if you think, I mean, seriously, go back to like every drive they've had this year where it's like, they're actually being aggressive and try to throw the ball down the field. And that it's like a throw first run second, you know, type of approach. They are killing it, but they just refuse to employ that. And like, I don't know how Zimmer and company don't see how they how efficient this team is when they need to get the ball down the field and then just sit back and ignore that completely for the other 55 minutes of the game. Absolutely. Yeah. There's the two drives before the, the half where the Vikings got the ball back. The ball, the Vikings got the ball back like three times in the last like four minutes or something like that. And while nothing, nothing like turned into anything, they did throw the ball on first down. I believe at least two of the final drives in an attempt in an attempt to work the ball down the field. Now they did give up and run the ball on second time, both second down both times and kind of give up on any opportunity of that. But we're at least making a little bit of progress in that regard. What I find so ridiculous about what you're saying is that in theory, a team that's really good when they get aggressive should be a great two minute drill, four minute drill team. And the Vikings just observe those opportunities. They're like, hey, you know what? We don't need the two-minute drill. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. We don't need it. But it's like when you want it, like when you do need it, hey, what are you, five for five on field goals? There's 40 seconds left in the first half. We got a timeout left. And Zimmer's just like, let's call a run here and see how that goes. And then uh, if if you get first down on that run, maybe we'll go for it. No. Like like what Kirk did against Detroit in that final draft. He had 37 seconds and two timeouts. Completed two 20 yard passes up the middle of the Thielen, set up the the game when you feel that's 40 yards in two plays. That's taking off what 14 seconds of time. That's just yeah. it's baffling to me that they still commit to this, you know, old school run the ball approach. And again, we should know the Vikings are a rather efficient team running the football, but there's still a stark contrast between how effective they are with that approach mm-hmm. and how effective they are when they're like, all right, let's get the ball down the field. Let's get points soon. Yeah. It's unreal. So you're wasting so much energy time snaps by avoid, like by, by maintaining the status quo right now. Yeah. And that's, and really that's all that it is. Like this is a great win, right? This is a competitive team. They were three and two coming in. I know that they probably, are kind of trending in a direction of being, you know, a seven-win football team this year. But this is a quality team. And by the way, I know they're not necessarily as good as everyone thought they were weeks one, weeks two. Good. Defense is really good, really good. Top ten and all across the board, right? Points, total yards allowed, passing and rushing across the board. Great defense. You lit them up. Their D line is awesome, and the the pass protection shut them down. I mean, it was Kirk had all day, and when he, by the way, when he did have to break a sack, he did. He did that on was it Burns. Yep. And he had that uh, late run in that final drive and he ran for like 15 yards. So, I mean, we can, we can get to the game balls here, but there's like, it's weird because I, I feel like the Vikings just dominated that game. They kind of did. They dominated the game, but man, they had to squeak it out because they were talking about it being an over like Jonathan Vilma. Again, I hate the guy. He was talking about the game being over 
Like he was literally starting to use like the, well, next week the Vikings are on by. And then the, yeah. they're going into that conversation with four minutes left in the third quarter. It was a domination. They just let him off the hook. Denny Green, right? Like they let him Denny off Green. the hook in the fourth quarter. That's what happened. And if the Vikings yeah. had lost, like, dude, this would have been this would have been so much worse if the Vikings had lost that game because they did dominate for three quarters of play. And then what? They dominated for like the whole game. It took basically it was like two extreme outlier plays by the Panthers. Yes, essentially, right? and they got both of them shocking, right? But you know, because I mean, their so their their first scoring drive when they got the touchdown. That's because Justin Jefferson fumbled the deep in Vikings territory, right? Right. So that's the only reason the Panthers got a touchdown on the board there. Then they had a, some field goals in there. They had the punt block, mm-hmm. and then they had set up a t- Sam t- Darnold t- hitting a 50-yard seam route to the backup tight end on fourth and 10. Mm-hmm. Nice throw, kid. Does it again on fourth down a few plays later, finding more down the sideline, lobbing it you know, up into Mars and coming back down perfectly. Like It's just... Out, there's like three plays outside of those Vikings dominated the Panthers. Yep. Dominated the Panthers. Okay, so who is most responsible for this domination? Obviously, you can hand out a number of different game balls here. I think Kirk Cousins is a very obvious one. There yeah. are a couple of other candidates for that, you know, uh, that distinction this week as well. Who are you giving your game ball to this week? Yeah, a lot of games. I think the obvious one I would now, if we hadn't talked about him for like 10 minutes already, would be Kirk Cousins. Um, I kind of want to give a game ball to the starting offensive line as a whole. Okay, um, it's a lot of game balls to give out. Usually we kind of have the, the single game ball. Mm-hmm. Kirsten Darisaw, 52 pass blocking snaps, no sacks as a unit. The Vikings offensive line allowed no sacks. And I believe he was only pressured four times mm-hmm. in the entire game against a very good defensive line, a very good unit that had been, uh, you know, creating havoc all year long. So that is a pleasant surprise. It's probably not, you know, it's probably a good correlation between Kirk crunch time doing really well. The pass protection also becoming a lot better lately. It's probably related there. So kudos to them. We didn't talk about them much in the show, but I mean, Darisaw was really good. O'Neill continues to be awesome. Um, you have to be excited about Darisaw, man. You have to, to look that good early on. Um, it just doesn't seem like he's doing he like, he's like, giving that much effort and it's still really effective. So I'm excited about him. Cleveland was really good and has been really good. Uh, it's just a, you, I mean, it's been a while now, a couple of games here where they've played really well. That's fine. I'm not going to believe it until they get through this next four week stretch and they're still maintaining that same performance, but a really good game against Carolina. Yeah. And there are, you know, for what it's worth, being a 500 team, there's generally a lot of reasons for optimism moving forward. And on the other side, a lot of reasons for pessimism. And the Vikings definitely fit that bill, right? But if you are on the train of I am optimistic about this team moving forward, and I think I would categorize myself as such uh, based off of at least the last two performances individually from our quarterback as well as the defensive effort. But the real point thing right there is what you're talking about with the offensive line. The number one thing, if you believe this team can get to 10 wins this season – it hinges on the development of those five guys. If Darisaw continues to play as well as he has, continue to progress into be, he doesn't even need to be a pro bowler, man, but just like a quality above mm-hmm. average left tackle. Trustworthy. Can, trustworthy blindside protection. Absolutely. If you get that and then you get stability from the guys in the middle and Brian O'Neill continues to be Brian O'Neill, man, this team can win 10 games. This is a playoff team. If that front five does as well, it is because you've got the weapons. If you have the time, right? That's the Vikings issue. If you've got the time up front, 
you've got Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, KJ Osborne, who we haven't talked enough about for being a 75 yard game winning touchdown guy this show. Like if you can block, you can play for the rest of the season. You can win these games, period. But mm-hmm. I just don't know if you can yet. Like it's two weeks is great. But if you want to be optimistic, offensive line is number one for sure. For me on game balls, I you guys know that I like to kind of give awards out to people who are more deserving as a result of screwing up early on, right? Like with Greg Joseph, you know, I love to kind of play that card. Adam Thielen certainly warrants a game ball in this game as well, but I've probably given him 15 throughout his life as a Viking. I'm giving it this week to Bashad Breeland, and here's why. First of all, interception to just start the game. Set the tone immediately with the pick. None of us expected it. We all hate the guy. We've been trashing him all season long. Myself, Chris Thomason has, too. Twitter. Chris Thomason has been firing him up. Yeah, absolutely. He comes out, sets the tone immediately with an interception. I thought that was cool in and of itself, right? But then Will Reggett from uh, Sports Illustrated writes great content for them. He tweeted this earlier, and it confirms a lot of the things that we kind of felt. Bashad Breeland, weeks one through three via pro football focus 18 catches allowed 257 yards four touchdowns on 21 targets 18 <laughs> for 21 for 257 and four that's, that's gotta be like a perfect grade. passer rating allowed like BFF the passer grade of 30.4 116 out of 116 that's weeks one through three right we were all right yeah. about that he sucked ass weeks four through six we haven't been giving him the credit he deserves apparently five catches 43 yards zero touchdowns allowed on 15 targets. That's a 33% completion percentage. One missed tackle during that time. 84 PFF grade. That is ranked, ready for it, fourth out of 119 over the last three weeks for the cornerback. Look at it. Look at that, man. I have to – when did Thomason first bring up that PFF grade? Was it after the Browns game? I think it it was two weeks ago. So it would have been after – Right after the Browns game? Browns game, yeah. Okay. So maybe that's maybe, Hey, credit to Chris Thomason. You know what, you know, maybe, maybe he's the guy to that's been firing up for shy. I don't know, but and Mike Zimmer, I mean, he's been firing up Mike Zimmer yeah. for the better True. Part Zimmer's of the decade, definitely the type so. of guy that's going to go in there and, and fire up a guy like that, but that's good. I, that's, that's especially now, uh, you know, it's good to see that with the whole Peterson injury here absolutely, out of nowhere. And now he's going to be basically cornerback one now Breland and, and Dantzler will be your cornerback. So, I mean, good to see that Breland's turning that corner. Uh, you're going to have to get a little bit more out of him and Dantzler now. You've got, you know, you got Dallas. We got Amari Cooper and C. Lamb coming to town. Right. Yeah. And then got you got you got the Chargers in a few weeks. You know, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. You got Green Bay, Devontae Adams. And, and I mean, he had some serious wide receiver play to go up against here in the next few games. So uh, that's, a, a, that's a positive turn there that uh, Breland is, is making progress. Absolutely. And then you think about just two that like there's sense to it, right? Like sometimes when you read stats, like it's just people are putting that stat in front of you in order to kind of confirm their notion, right? Like this is like an actual, like these statistics make sense in theory, right? He's a first year player in Mike Zimmer's defense. Of course, week one is going to suck. You hope he gets better week two. Eh, he doesn't. Week three comes along, hoping for some progress. Eh, didn't get it. All right. Oh, for three. Get to week four, starting to see a little bit of progress. And ultimately, you get to the point where he is now a playmaker, at least for one game. He was a playmaker in Carolina. That's why he gets my game ball. Um, and you're right. I mean, he set the I mean, he set the tone, and he's going to need to be a guy, an important fixture on this defense, because we saw how good this team could be if they can play coverage. I mean, that was under 50% passing for Sam Darnold yesterday. That's Not incredible close. coverage. <laughs> it was incredible. Close. Yeah. 17 for 41. I mean, if Breland does his job, continues to progress in this defense, I mean, Chris Thomas is not going to have anything to say, man. Like, those first three weeks are history. I'll forget all about it. What I really want, next time Breland speaks to the media, I want him to open up with, like, that stat from Will 
Uh, just yeah, just bring, let's start with that. Hey, you know I got that something they see for- him too? Like we've had agents reach out to us before. Like, hey, I like that stat a lot. Post that everywhere. Like we know that they see it. And I'm sure, mm-hmm. I'm sure he found that. I would love for him to be like wearing it on a shirt of his PFF stats for the last three weeks or something like that. But regardless, great play for Rashad Breeland. Great play, play, honestly, by the secondary as a whole. You know, a couple of these guys like Xavier Woods, like just make kind of like these smaller plays that we don't even talk about on the show the next day, but they have intrinsic value to what we're doing defensively. Armin Watts had a sack yesterday as well. I mean, this is all, yeah, this is a very solid performance as a whole by the Vikings defense heading into the bye. A lot of reasons for optimism. I hope that especially when you're coming off of a win going to the bye, you kind of focus on the good things and try to add to that as opposed to, you know, some of the not so great things that we may have forgotten more about over the last couple of weeks, but we'll see what happens heading into the bye. We'll kind of round it out with this since we didn't talk much about this. What do you want, like outside of the obvious, get healthy, right? Get right for when you play Dallas. What would you like to see over the next week coming into Dallas? What would you look, if you are Ziggy Wilf, what are you writing in your email that you want your guys to focus on during bye week outside of, you know, rest and relaxation? I want Mike Zimmer to see a consultant about <laughs> modern, <laughs> modern game management. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not even like kidding. Like that's, I'm serious. Like that's something that is significantly hindering this team, I think. And I don't know how much of a blueprint or a, I guess a fingerprint Zimmer has on the offense or like the play calling, anything like that with Kubiak. And maybe Kubiak just feels like he's being held down by Zimmer's style. I don't know, but something needs to change. Something needs to change there. It shouldn't, you know, beating these teams should not require, especially after you've had a double digit lead should not require a come from behind drive to score points, but it has a couple of times now and it's, it's, it's bothersome. So I think I seriously do think that's a huge, huge component to this team becoming a contender here is figuring out when to be more aggressive on those calls, whether it's to kick or not to kick, whether it's just simply running the ground, running the ball into the ground when you have a lead and then punting possessions away, you got to be more aggressive. It's funny that you say that because I, I keep going back to this kind of conversation that I think it was honestly a we thing and not just a me thing, but I think it was Ted Glover was on the show and this would have been like six years ago when we were doing about the labor back mm-hmm. when both of us were writing sports and doing you know more consistent stuff and something Ted said I thought was not necess- I didn't think it was dumb, but I thought he was wrong at the time. He said something along the lines of to the effect of the difference between a good team and a bad team almost always is the head coach and in my head. I'm kind of thinking, eh, it's probably the quarterback. It's probably the superstar, you know, edge rusher, whatever. But if you really think about it, and like as I've kind of grown as a football fan, as I've watched more football games, as I've taken in kind of different schematics, different things that are going well, the reason why a team is playing well, it almost always does come down to that head coach, man. Like really on a consistent basis, the teams that are good week in, week out, with the exception of maybe Green Bay. They always have a great guy calling the plays, making the decisions, doing whatever it takes to win. It really comes down to the McVay. It comes down to well, Pete Carroll. I mean, it came down Cliff to Kingsbury the right now. Cliff Kingsbury. Yes. It comes down to the guy that's leading the charge. The guy that has the final say. And I think Andy he's right. Reed. Ted's right about that. Absolutely. Andy Reid, like people are going to say, oh, well, that's the Patrick Mahomes show. I mean, I think this year has shown – a lot, right? The Patrick Mahomes is a great football player, still the best in the league, definitively. But without a great coach, without great decision making behind him, is he that? Is he as great as he like was when he won a Super Bowl, when he won the MVP? I think there's real questions about that kind of thing. 
you know, there's the Brady argument, of course, leaving Belichick and potentially being a better offensive player. But maybe that lends, lends credence to Bruce Arians and the ability that he has to call an offensive game plan. So just something to think about. I think there's really something to that. And I, I think that you're right, that if the Vikings can get better at one thing outside of getting healthier during the bye week, it's just being more progressive offensively, reviewing the analytics. Just give them some time, right? Like, I don't like analytics either. I'm not a math guy. I've talked about this plenty of times. I don't think you are even that much of a math guy either. But, like, uh, there's objectively correct information out there that if you were just to scan it, you could see, okay, wh- wh- this kind of does make sense. Fourth and two, if we get this, man, I mean, we're going to be winning. And if we don't get this, well, okay, it's ultimately go like, yards. it's like, ultimately it so sense. the problem that is like, these coaches and like kind of the old school philosophy is like you're trying like basically what you wanted they're doing is putting off the most decisive moment of the game yes just until like, like they're kicking that part down the road when you can problem, you can just do it now and it most of the time when you do it now and you have the ball in your hands and control of it it's better mathematically analytically for you to do that and you Ultimately. also don't create that clutch moment, right? By the way, right? Like, like the clutch moment is fun for and, us well, as fans. It's entertaining wise, like, yes, but you don't even need the you clutch don't want moment that. sometimes. Yeah, you yeah. don't even want it. That's why that you can go wrong for you. Yes. And then if that goes wrong, then the spiral in the media is that much worse if it was a quote, yes. clutch moment. As there might not be, to, I mean, there doesn't need to be that, you know, that climax moment of the game where it's like this play is do or die. Vikings keep having that because they're uh, they're scared of making that decisive moment earlier and just taking it by the horns. Instead, they're kicking it down the road and letting the other team have control of it with the fo- with the football when the Vikings right. can do it themselves with a very high-powered offense, with one of the best running backs in the game, two of the best wide receivers in the game, really, really good pocket passer. And, you know, our offensive line is playing really well right now. No, they don't want to do that. They want to instead get the ball to the other team and they can have control of it. The most frustrating thing, it, it makes no sense to me. I'd love to have somebody try to, like, talk me a little bit off the edge here because I am – losing my mind a little bit as I talk more about this <laughs> control the moment. I think that's a great place to end this show control the moment. Um, if the Vikings can do that. I mean, I think they really can win some of these football games down here, right? Especially if you're playing against a coach like Mike McCarthy, who could spend a little time looking over analytics and the fourth down decision-making and just general decision-making as well. So Good opportunity for the Vikings here coming up. This is a great way to go into the bye week. I know it may not have necessarily felt like it, uh, given what happened in the fourth, you know, in the fourth quarter. And uh, but ultimately, like you get the you get the high, right? Like this is this was good, right? Like this is a great feeling to walk into the bye week with, even if you did have to fight a little bit harder than you needed to. I mean, KJ Osborne has to feel more confident coming out of the bye now. That's the biggest moment of his life. He just put millions of dollars into his pocket. Like, think about how game changing that is for him. He's been the best, level. the best number three receiver, you know, since Jarius, right? I mean, since yeah, it has to be Jarius, right? Yeah. So he's. I mean, this is this is a lot of fun, guys. We're in the position where you want to be, right? Like, if you think you're a good football team and you think you're a competitive football team, this is where you want to be. You you've now climbed out of the cellar. You are at the kind of the the summit of the hill, if you will. And now it's time to climb the mountain. And unfortunately, that mountain is Dallas. What is it? Baltimore Chargers, Green Bay in succession, beginning on I believe it was what is it October no, it's October Halloween. 28th. It's Halloween. Yeah, so could get spooky. Gonna be a, a spooky, spooky one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> well, anyways, uh, we head into the bye week. Like I said before at the top of the show, Drew and I also head into the bye week. We will not have a Thursday show this week, and we will not have a Tuesday show next week. So this is the last time you will hear from us for about a week or so. 
Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to the show. Uh, as always, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever else you listen to your podcast. If you prefer to watch this show and take a good look at Drew's Jim Klein saucer bobblehead here, uh, you can find us on YouTube. We're available there. Make sure to check out the, that comment section as well. I always check that out. I even respond sometimes as well. Uh, and if you want to see the rest of what we're doing at Climbing the Pocket Network, make sure to check us out on Daily Norseman. As I say at the end of every show, those guys doing live shows Monday through Friday, a couple of podcasts sprinkled in there as well. A lot of different content creators and different kind of voices and styles. So if you don't like us, you might like one of them. So go ahead and check that out. And then, and of course, Daily Norseman is kind of our home base. So make sure to check out the content that they are providing um, and you'll find us there as well. So as always, folks. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. This was a fun one. I'm glad, I'm very glad we get to go into the bye with a win and a three and three record instead of a two and four gloom and doom show. Um, we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks here, or about a little over a week here. Um, and we're looking forward to previewing that Dallas game. So thanks as always for listening. We'll catch you guys next week.